Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, seven and 12, former middle school teacher recently, and a new homeschooler and writer. Very exciting. A lot of new stuff going on this year. I know, it is. It's a lot. So welcome to the 10th episode of Tulip Mamas. We've got some spooky tales to share with you today. So to help you get into the Halloween spirit. Hopefully we won't scare you too much. Although I scared myself reading my books. So, <laughs> Oh my God. I would, see, that's why I wouldn't pick scary ones. Uh, but before we get started, what's happening in your house? One thing I have to say, since this is our 10th episode, I think we need to introduce a drinking game because every time uh, you say P.S. <laughs> I know, I'm like an old Jewish grandmother. P.S., can I tell you something? P.S., let me, let's not forget. I know, right? And every time I'm, I say I'm a bit of an Anglophile. <laughs> right. <laughs> P.S., I think I've said that in every episode. I need to like cut it out. <laughs> Maybe I should try something new. Hashtag. No, I, feel, I feel better. P. I feel like better. P.S. P.S. Let me tell you something here. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. I was just listening to the, uh, you know, living here in Boston now with this accent, and then having spent like a large chunk of my life in Philadelphia with that accent. I was listening to the football game just before we started for the Eagles because I'm a diehard fan and hearing them announce and I'm like, well, no wonder I'm a disaster. <laughs> I am pretty much like the Eastern seaboard all mixed into one at this point. Yeah. That's like when I go back to Illinois and I listen to the Chicago news and I, it just like warms my heart. I'm like, oh, right. Yes. That accent is the best, but yeah, I know. Anyway. I know. I know. <laughs> How's everybody, everybody good? Yeah, we're all good here. Pretty normal. Um, you know, lately I've been stressing a little bit about Halloween though, because it really is one of my favorite holidays. I think I like it more than Christmas to be totally honest with you. And I'm stressed about what it's going to be like this year because we can't really hand out candy and stuff. But then I was on a mom's group Facebook page and they were talking about doing, trying to do contactless. Just like throw it, <laughs> throw it and the kids will go, go along, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Reese's. I have a peanut allergy. No. <laughs> well, you know, there's like the people who put out the bowl and ask you to take one, which I kind of hate that when they're like, just take one. Cause I usually give kids like hands full. But, um, so I was thinking about trying to do something like that. Like maybe put together, you know how they have those little plastic gloves that you fill with candy and like tie it up and make it look like a scary, like claw or something. I was thinking oh maybe God, I could do those. Teacher. I know. Maybe I could do something like that where the kids in the neighborhood could just grab one and I, they don't have to, you know, it, it can be out for them and they don't have to come near me. Although my favorite part is seeing the costumes, but oh well, I'll survive, I guess. As long as you're making like creepy snacks, you could totally sit there with like binoculars. I mean, it goes within the creep factor. <laughs> I can be hiding in the bushes. <laughs> like, make it a steampunk thing, whatever. It'll be cool. Oh my God. I hate Halloween. How is that possible? I almost said a PS. I hate it. I hate it. You know, when I worked for the Philadelphia Opera Company, people used to like, the, 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 all the like the people that loaded in and loaded out, they used to call them the meat cookies because they were all like these buff guys. And they would just be like, they would come and steal the costumes. And I'm like, you know, that's from Italy. Hello. Do you know, I know that you really think that it would be really fun to wear that fun little mask, but that mask is worth $700. Can Let's you put not it down touch the costume. And not go, right. You don't to go to your South Philly soiree in that costume. Thank you. And I think it just always made me bitter and over it. I can't believe that about you though, because you make the most amazing costumes. I know. I try to tamper down my hatred. 
Is it too much work? No, it's not at all. I just, I don't want my kids to know how much I hate it. I think that's what it all boils down to. All right. So let's talk about our books, should we? Shall we do it? Okay. For the 10th episode of Tulip Mamas, we'll be discussing a few books sure to leave you shaking in your bones. I'll be talking about Doll Bones by Holly Black and Wait Till Helen Comes by Mary Downing Hahn. Both are creepy ghost stories. And I'm taking on scary stories for young Boxes by Christian McKay Hendiker and The Bone Garden by Heather Kastner. So let's get started. Woo! All right. So, of the two books you read, what was scary? What one like made you crawl into a hole and rock and cry and shake? Because that's what happens to me. Wait till Helen comes was the scariest. In fact, I started reading it at night and I got about two chapters in and I was like, I think I'm going to save this for a daytime reading. Seriously? (laughs) Really scary? Because I'm kind of a wimp. Me too. I'm one of those people who I love ghost stories. Like I really love like a good Christmas ghost story and stuff like that too. And plus like, you know, I grew up in a creepy old farmhouse. And so I love ghost stories. But yeah, I didn't want to read at night and scare myself because I have also have very vivid dreams. And I just, yeah. So Wait wait Till Helen Comes is from Mary Downing Hahn, who Mary Downing Hahn now is like 82 years old. She's a former school librarian and she has written over 20 novels. But they're all creepy, right? Like that's her genre? Yeah, that's her genre. I mean, she has written some like picture books and other stories too, but these were her biggest hits. And I got turned on to her by one of my friend's daughters, when she was in middle school, she loved these books and she told me I had to read them. And the first book I read was The Doll in the Garden. And that one, it wasn't as scary. It was really good, I thought. But this one, Wait Till Helen Comes, is really scary. But she handles it in a way. I think like most middle schoolers, if you have a middle schooler who's sort of likes scary stuff, then it probably would be fine for them. It wouldn't freak them out. I'm like extra sensitive because I have like a ridiculous imagination. So I get carried away. But This book is about 12-year-old Molly and her 10-year-old brother, Michael, and they were living in Baltimore with their mother, and she had recently gotten married to a man named Dave, and he had a daughter named, has a daughter named Heather, and Heather's mother has died in a tragic fire. Of course she did. Before all this happened. And so, but they were living in Baltimore, but both of the, Dave and uh, Molly's mom were artists. And so they wanted to move out into the country so they could have more time to to work on their art and live someplace where it was a little bit cheaper. So they bought this old church that had been converted into a house. No, thank you. I know. That's always like, that's number one. Like every scary thing, like you moved into a church. No, thank you. I'm done. And of course, there's a graveyard outside of it. And so the kids like spend most of their summer kind of wandering freely around this property, which kind of reminded me of growing up on a farm a lot. I thought it was very true. Oh, and this book came out in 1986. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it felt like it was still pretty accurate for today, but there were a couple of references that maybe kids might not get. Like um, she was using her Walkman at night. My kids just asked me the other day what one of those was. And I was like, I need to die now. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't. So yeah, so there were a few references, but I think kids would kind of figure it out in context what they're talking about. And especially yeah. since they still have, like she puts on her Walkman headphones. I mean, kids would know what that meant. So, and then as the summer goes on, their, this, their younger stepsister, Heather, which I thought was kind of cool that she had my name. So that was another reason I wanted to read this story. Right. But she just gets more and more like messed up and aggressive towards them. And then Molly. Oh, nice. Yeah. Psycho Heather. Yes, yeah, Psycho mm. Heather. And then um, Molly starts kind of following her because she's basically been taxed with babysitting her over the summer. And so she starts kind of keeping, trying to keep an eye on her because she keeps disappearing. And she finds her in the cemetery all the time talking to someone. Dun, dun, dun. So it just keeps getting creepier and creepier. And then, you know, and so, yeah, eventually Molly can see who she's talking to, too. And it just gets creepier, creepier. But it actually is a pretty cool story about redemption and family and who's family and trying to understand people's circumstances and things like that. And then um, even though it's pretty scary in parts, it finishes with kind of a happy resolution. So you're not left with, you know how like adult creepy stories sometimes leave you feeling really scared when you're finished with it. And this book takes you to that place and then it brings you back. So like if a child was reading this, they wouldn't be scared when they were finished with it. So because it has a really good resolution too, but it was so good, so scary. Did you um? Did you read a lot of scary stories as a kid or adult, like Stephen Kingy kind of stuff, or no? No, I didn't. No, Mm-mm. I didn't either. I, I never liked scary stuff, so it would be interesting to know like how these middle grades kind of play out from a point of view of like how you know what I mean like from the stylistic point of view or oh you mean how they match up with adult scary stories yeah in the second book I read Doll Bones by Holly Black that one was written from the point of view of one character but the scary stuff was happening to another character so you were kind of getting it second which made it less scary so that was much less scary than the Wait Till Helen Comes book but I think also with the Wait Till Helen Comes book because it was the younger child that was susceptible to the the ghost in the story it kind of made the 12 year old who was watching her seem to be more like the responsible one even though she was scared she also yeah you know was playing the role of the babysitter and so she was trying really hard to overcome her fears so there were a lot of like typical middle grade tropes and you know in it yeah because of that so um but it was really good it kept me totally entranced like I didn't want to put it down but I definitely wouldn't read it at night <laughs> it's so would you who would, what age group would you recommend this one for? Probably seventh, eighth graders. Yeah, like upper middle grade? Well, but the language in it, as far as reading level, I think it's probably okay for, you know, anyone fifth grade on and up. Everyone knows their own child. Like if your child can handle yeah. Some children love like those scary stories and kind of are drawn to that type of story. So I think they would be completely fine with it. Like I said, I'm kind of a wimp. And so it was different What about your me. son? Does he like them? Would he like, would he have been into them? At that age? You know, he was really into all of those sort of uh, post-apocalyptic books where kids take over the world and stuff like that. That should have warned you right there. (laughs) But I never read him ghost stories because I would have never really thought of that. Yeah, me too. That's interesting. Well, I would actually would probably steer away from it because my kids are wimps like me. But you know, my friend's daughter who recommended these, she was in middle grade and she loved them and she read all the books. So, you know, she's a normal, cool girl. She's an artsy kind of girl. Yeah. Like kind of gets drawn to the darker stuff. Or, you know, yeah, just doesn't see it as as quite as dark. It's more interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. I can't say that either of mine were like super scary because I'm jaded 
and I spent a large chunk of my childhood in a funeral home because my mother's husband was a funeral director. And we used to have a lot of dead people around us, which is probably explains a lot. We had to help with the family business. So that meant we were around dead people all the time. So it's probably not makes me the best judge of what is creepy in the dead factor. But anyway, my first one, The Bone Garden by Heather Kastner was epic. It was an awesome book that I would highly recommend. And I'm not even like a fantasy gal or kind of into that creep factor, but this really did it for me. This really, I really loved this little journey we went on. And it's from 2019. It's Heather Kastner and it's illustrated by Matt Saunders. It is her first book. In a lot of the reviews, it talked a lot about the illustrations. The book cover is fantastic, but I didn't think that the illustrations were really kind of any of it. They didn't move the story that much. But anyway, Heather Kastner has a second book coming out, The Forest of the Stars. And that's supposed to come out. It must have come out like the end of August. So anyway, this is a story about Iriella who lives with Miss Vesper in her mansion. And you definitely get the vibe. It's sort of like a nondescript time, but it's you. it has a very gothic feel to it. So it's not modern day. Ooh, I love gothic. Right. It's not like, it's not modern day. It's not like this book takes place in 1893 or something like that. But it's you, just from the things that they do. So more like fairy tale gothic kind of quality where... It's not kind really of, yeah. set in and, specific Right, time. and you know, of course, the costume designer in me is like, well, you know, the skirts are not above the ankle, or they are above the ankle, so it has to be within this period, whatever. You know, it didn't really bother me, and it was kind of this sort of non-identified um, time. So Miss Vesper is not the nicest person, and she, we find out very early on, Ariella's job is to collect the bone dust from all of the tunnels below the mansion, and Miss Vesper made her to do that. She magicked her to life to do that. And she's very abusive, but even though Ariella can, gets that she's abusive to her, because she was made with one drop of Miss Vesper's blood, she's tied to her. So she feels somewhat loyal to her, even if she doesn't want to. Right, because there's an invisible, she always talks about this invisible tether that keeps her connected. Um, so it's kind of interesting because you're like, oh, very typically like abusive mother kind of a situation because of that blood tether. Anyway, so she, Ariel is very good at collecting bone dust. dust. She creeps around through the tunnels below the mansion and the, that's underneath the graveyard. And she goes into the graves. She They've made these tunnels so she can get in there and she takes a little bit certain body parts for whatever the potion might be calling for and she takes it back to Miss Vesper and we soon learn that Miss Vesper is drinking that to keep her alive Mm, creepy right Um, but we don't know why why we're keeping her alive or how it's keeping her alive or anything like that for quite some time but she gets pale and she gets run down and she drinks the bone it's just like what is that collagen that people drink yeah it's like it's like collagen on a keto diet or something Um, (laughs) she's like and she's lively again she's happy as can be as things are going, that things are not going well. And she's always afraid that someday Miss Vesper is just going to unimagine her. And if she unimagines her, then she no longer exists. But she really wants to be a normal kid. She wants to be a real girl. Exactly. It's totally. One day they get in a little argument. There is um, Miss Vesper created a hand to go chase her down and through the tunnels. And the hand is chasing her. And she happens upon the boy who is half buried. And she was his replacement. He didn't come back one day because Miss Vesper got mad. And she half buried him in the tunnels. And he's been surviving on worms. So they dig each other out. And they figure out, like, we're going to move on, right? We're going to figure out, like, what is this woman? What is her story? How do they figure things out? And they meet eventually, a, a few hours later, they meet their replacement, Lass, and she's been sent down to find them. 
but she's like please. It's like, I would so be this girl. She was like, um, yeah, I'm going to go find them. What ups? And then she joins forces with them all. So they cut a deal that if they find this one grave that she's been looking for, then, uh, that Ms. Vesper's been looking for it, then she will imagine them all alive. Now, as we all know, you can't trust a witch. Right. So there you have it. Um, it was a great book. The one complaint I had is it had this funky font that I found it really hard to read which I thought was a weird thing. You know, like that's my main, that's my main complaint. It was, it was kind of hard to read because it wasn't just like Times New Roman or one of those standard bonds, but otherwise it was a great little tale. There was a lot of action. There was a lot of intrigue. There was a lot of mystery and I give it like four thumbs up. I think it's really fun. It was really fun. It was not that scary, but it was definitely fantasy and it was definitely dark and it definitely would be something you would love to read around Halloween. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, that kind of thing. And it's a brand new book. And I think that Heather Kastner is off to a great start. Her next book looks really interesting as well. Kind of similar fantasy like that young girl as the main character. So I think it'll be interesting to watch her and see what happens. So is she a newer author? Yeah, this was her first book. Oh, her first book. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she's got another one coming out. Well, the one that just came out and then another one coming out in 2021. So what's your second one? Okay, my second book was called Doll Bones by Holly Black. It came out in 2013. And Holly Black, she's pretty famous for Spiderwick Chronicles. Oh, okay. Yeah, her name's pretty recognizable. And she also has a bunch of well-known YA books, too. But um, this book was about three friends named Poppy, Zach, and Alice. And I love them because they're middle graders who are kind of at that in-between stage where they still like imaginative play and they have their figures and they write stories for them about these great adventures. They go on the pirates and there's the evil queen and all this kind of stuff. And it's so fun. In fact, I love the stories they wrote. I almost enjoyed reading that as much as the book because they were such fun stories. But then they're also at that age where they're starting to get into like theater and sports being into girls and boys and stuff like that, like most of the kids start to do at that age. And so they're kind of torn between these two worlds, which I think is so recognizable. For a story, yeah. Yeah. For middle schoolers, that's just right on target. So because they're stuck between these, it kind of causes this conflict in their friendship, which leads to one of the girls, Poppy. The evil queen is based on a doll that her mom has in a glass case. And her mom has said, don't ever take that doll out of the glass case. And it's an antique doll it's obvious it's got thin fabric and really thin porcelain and and it's well we find out it's made from bone china hmm, bone china i know I see a theme <laughs> so in an attempt to save their friendship poppy takes this doll out because they've she's like the queen in their stories and she wants to take this queen on a final adventure she thought that would get her friends alice and zach still interested in their game that they've been playing and after she takes the doll out she starts to get haunted by it she does i feel like all dolls have have an ability to haunt. I know. It's like the, it's the, that perfect creepy doll story for Halloween. Anyways, but because all of the story is in Zach's POV, you don't really get like the scary haunting of Poppy because she's just telling them and they don't necessarily believe her. So, you know, it's kind of going back and forth. But as part of being haunted by this doll, she finds out that according to the doll who's been talking to her through her dreams, that she died. And when she died, her father was a very famous bone china artist and he couldn't deal with the fact that she had died. And so he turned her into this doll. You can smell that one. Isn't that so creepy? And 
And inside the doll is a bag of her ashes. Okay, gross. Yeah. So the china itself is made out of her bones. And then inside is the rest of her in ashes. And so she says that she will continue to haunt them and make their lives miserable until they take her to where she should be buried, right? And it turns out, okay, so they live in... Virginia, I think. So they have to get to Ohio and they take the bus. But what, you know, of course, it's this grand adventure that they've all been writing about and imagining, but now they're actually setting off on an adventure. And of course, the reality of that is scarier and more real and not as much fun and comfortable and things like that as their imagination. So, but yet, you know, of course, as they're going along and surviving all these crazy things that happen to them, they become more confident in who they are and they start to behave more like they're imaginary characters. Ah. It's a really cool story about how, so they get to do some of the things that their imaginary characters did, but they have to do it in real life and figure it out. And of course, it doesn't always go right and things get messed up, but they get to the other side of it. And it, it's a pretty cool story. So, and again, it, it also has sort of like a happy ending that they finished their quest and all of that. So it, it was a pretty crazy tale, but it was really fun to read. Yeah. When is that book from? Is it, It's recent, right? It's from 2013. Oh, okay. It is a Newbery Honor winner too. Which I feel like my, my second one is a Newbery winner too, but I feel like it's weird. I, I, I didn't know that Newbery winners were really into that kind of creep. I was surprised too to see that it had that, but I think this book is much less scary than Wait Till Helen Comes. And even though it has the creepy doll and everything, the story of the doll is a little bit less scary. And also, I mean, and, and kind of weird things happen to them on their journey, but you know, it, it just felt a little bit safer to me. Yeah. And so I can kind of see where, because it is about them developing from this sort of weird child stage to being more mature and acting out instead of just having fantasies in their heads, actually becoming sort of heroes and adventurers. Really cool. yeah. Are they all girls? No, it's, there's a boy. One there's boy. A boy too. Okay. Two girls and a boy. And, and they kind of address the issue of beginning relationships and things like that too. So there's a lot of stuff in this book that I could see why just the developmental stuff that goes along with the kids, why it would win an honor award. Yeah. And it is, of course, really well written and it's a great adventure story and all of that too. And it hits a lot of the typical middle grade tropes and stuff. Well, it's funny because it was on the reading list for my older son last year for sixth grade. It was one of the book choices and he was like, got to the scary part factor and he was like no I don't want to even no he wouldn't even like look at it oh really because it was categorized as more of a you know like a scary book or a horror book it doesn't sound like it now listening to what you're saying I wouldn't have I wouldn't have characterized it as a horror book in fact are we talking about your oldest I think he would really like this book because it kind of is that transitioning from imaginative play to real life adventure. And I think he would like that actually. Yeah. And it's not, like I said, because all the scary stuff is secondhand where in the first book, wait till Helen comes, you're getting the haunting like firsthand from the POV, but in the doll bones, it's sort of secondhand scary stuff. Zach is the main character and he has to kind of decide if it's real. And he's sort of torn in between because Alice, their one friend just kind of dismisses it. And then the other friend, Poppy, it's who it's happening to. So he's sort of in the middle and he has to, he's sort of, again, torn in between these two, being more mature about it and wanting to believe that magical things can exist in the world, which I thought was a really cool thing to explore for that age. 
Yeah. To still not want to give up hope. Yes. I'm still not giving up hope. I'm still waiting for the magic fairy to come and do my laundry someday. <laughs> it's going to happen, right? Like someday the dishwasher is going to be unloaded and the laundry will be pulled. And I'll be like, oh, she was here. Magic fairy came. Oh, well. Well, so much for that one. That sounds really good, though. I do think that was. sounds like an interesting one to read and not as scary. I couldn't do the first one because that's too scary. And I just can't do scary, especially not this year. I can't do anxiety and I can't do 20. I can't do like, I can't do 2020. I, that's true. I think everybody says that. I can't do 2020. Nobody can do 2020. But I definitely don't want scary. But this second one sounds like, oh yeah, I like it. I love books where kids take a trip. I, a road trip on their own. I love it. You know, like Percy Jackson and when they take off to save the day. I love it. I think that's a pretty typical trip for yeah. little Greg. I would kill my children if they pulled that crap. P.S. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, actually, I was kind of thinking about that while I was reading The Doll Bones because some reviews you'll see parents freaking out about the kids going off or like it's encouraging your kids to do that. But I think that's the whole point of fantasy is that yes. you can fantasize about it through the book without actually doing it yourself. And right. so that's the whole point. Yeah, so I don't think it's that bad. And I do think it's fun to see it all work out for them and all of that too. I taught middle school for almost 25 years and I can't name one kid that I would have been like, oh, yeah, he would have gone off on his own. No, they're too scared. No, no, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to venture off on my own. Right. They're little. They're, people don't think realize how little they are if you're not interacting with them every day. Because when they're your own, you saw them when they were really little. And then you're like, oh, they're big and smelly when they're 12. But they're not. When you compare them to like, you know, somebody that's 15 or 17, they're just babies. And they still want that fantasy of being independent because you still, at that age, you don't have a lot of control over your life. And in Doll Bones, something happens to Zach where his parents interfere with his life. Yeah, he doesn't have that much control. And so I think that middle schoolers, they want to feel this fantasy, this freedom in a story where they can, you know, even if it's just in their imagination with following the story, be free and make their own choices and do crazy things. Yeah. And the book isn't for their parents. The book is for them. I mean, middle grade parents need to remember that. And all parents listening, you need to remember that these books are not for you. These books Mm -hmm. are for your kid. You can read them and you can enjoy them and you can have a wonderful time, but you have to remember that you are not the target audience. That 10 year old or that 12 year old is a target audience audience. And if that makes them open up their fantasy world and take a new turn, that's the whole point of the book. Not for what you to look at with your adult glasses and be like, oh, that's scary. There was a monster behind door number four. You should have never gone that way. No, that's not your, you you learned that lesson. Right. And they're not encouraging children to run off on their own. They're giving them that, allowing them that fantasy of imagining what it's like. So they get the same benefit of, you know, just of imagining it. Just like, I don't think any day that I am ever going to be The Rock. But I really like to watch The Rock and I like to see what he does. And I like to think, hey, I wouldn't make that choice there. Oh, I would make that choice there. I could be The Rock. No, we all look at my chubby middle-aged body and we're like, no, that's never going to happen, honey. No. But in my mind, I can pretend to be The Rock through his movies. That's what I'm saying. All right. I have one last book for us to go through. My second book, it wasn't that scary, but it was supposed to be. And I could say, I would say this was called Scary Stories for Young Foxes by Christian McKay Handicker. And it had illustrations by Junyi Liu. It is eight interconnected stories, which that was kind of like the tagline that you read everywhere. But I did not quite get it because it really just reads like a book. You follow the story. You know from the beginning there's a group of kids that are being sent by their mom 
to go hear the stories from the, the big older vixen. And they are supposed to hear these scary stories in order to be scared enough to get the white on the end of their tail. Oh, funny. It's really cute, right? It's really clever. So the old vixen is telling them these tales. Every so often, it kind of like comes out of the scene and is like, the, like one of the kids runs away. One of the kids runs away. One of the kids runs home. But still, it's not like, I don't think I would call them like this... I wouldn't make such a big deal about it being interconnected stories. It's just a great tale. It's a great story. Uh, tale. Huh? See what I did there? Um, it's just a great story. So, you know, instead of connecting them all. So it, it's this older vixen telling 10 different stories? Is that what it's about? It's weird. See, that's why they shouldn't even say this interconnected thing. So there's these kids and they go see the older vixen and she's going to tell them these stories. And basically, the, we get down to two main characters and the two main characters come together and they work the rest of the story out themselves. So we have to find the backstory for the boy and the backstory for the little girl kid and before they go on their merry way to fight the bad guys. All right. Okay. It's just a normal story. But everywhere you read it, because I thought I was reading a book of short stories. Because of that, I thought I was reading this book of short stories. But it, it, you're not. It's it's just a really great little book. And I would say it's really good for younger kids. Okay. Like third and fourth grade or younger? I would, yeah. I would say third, fourth, fifth graders. You know, it's not that scary, but it's, if you were a fox, it might be. If you were a little baby fox, it might be scary. So anyway, this was a 2020 new uh, Newberry Honor recipient. It's very sort of Edgar Allan Poe-esque. Like the telling of it is very Poe-esque. It's not gory. It's suspenseful. And I can't tell you that much about the book because it would give so much away. I will tell you that I'm much more interested in foxes now. And I learned a lot. And I, when I did some research onto the writer, Christian McKay uh, Hendricker, actually, he did a lot of science writing for middle school units and magazines and things like that. And it's really clear because there's a lot of scientific input into the story. Oh, that's cool. You definitely learn a lot about foxes along the way. Um, they're all trying to get to their golden eye ceremony, their golden eye time when their eyes turn gold and they're no longer blue and they have to deal with some issues along the way and basically we end up with two kids who are both separated from their moms by very horrendously different ways one kid has a birth defect and because he has a birth defect his father wanted them to kill him and his mother never would and that one you know me I got a baby with a birth defect so that really struck me and I was like and he becomes the champion of course in the end because that's what kids books do but um and he learns how to how to live differently and how to make things work for him which is was really great but our two kids that we really follow are Mia and Uli Uli I can't really say it it's U-L-Y I don't know and they have to kind of figure out how to get from their sort of kidhood they've lost all their siblings for various ways then they've lost their mothers and that's when they meet up on their journey after they've lost their mothers and they have to try to figure out how to navigate things on their own and they have to fight there are beasts hiding everywhere there are ghosts that hunt the woods where they are. There's a witch that wants their skin and there are zombie foxes. And, but then like when you start to think of, read the, read further into it, like the zombie foxes, they get it by, by you. It's very clear, you know, like, oh, it's rabies and you get it. And it's very scientifically, he kind of explains things like that. So he does this like cool, scary imagery, but like the ghost, uh, the gross predator, well, it's a camouflaged animal in the snow but they see it as a ghost. So there's a lot like that. So if you're, again, this is a weird one because you're looking at it from adult eyes. You're like, oh, well, that's not scary. That's just this. But yet from a kid's point of view, it's really scary. And you're reading it from a kid fox point of view. And I also like how he's showing 
the sort of the folktale, the mythology on top of the science. Yeah. Well, you know, the science teacher, ding, 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 loved that. Right. I love that. That's really cool. So he's giving a scientific backstory to these myths that yeah. have been created to keep baby kits safe, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's so It was cool. really clever. It was very clever. And, you know, there's beasts that dwell in the bottom of lakes and puddles, and there's all these things that they have to kind of deal with, and they do. And it has a happy, very happy, happy ending that you're like, oh. So, and that rounds it out perfectly because it, it, it does have a happily ever after ending. Not everything is perfectly happy, but a lot of it is. The thing that I loved most about it, though, is that there's a lot, and maybe this is because I'm so into, like, student-driven learning or child-driven learning, that there's so much that you read about, and you're like, I, I want to know more about that, that, and that. So then I'm going to go look at it. And as a young reader, I would look at these things and be like, oh, I want to know more about that, and then kind of search, search it out on my own, which I think most kids would, because it's cool. And as a teacher, I mean, there's so many things you could do with that. That would be really fun. It was a great book. It wasn't one of them, like, as an adult, I didn't say, oh, this is something like, you know, like our last episode when we were talking about Song for a Whale. That book, I literally was like, this is a magical, brilliant book. I loved it as an adult. I loved it as a teacher. I loved it as a parent. And I really loved it as a parent of a deaf kid. So, you know, like, that's a one in a million. I really enjoyed this book. I enjoyed this book from a kid point of view. I think it's a great book for a kid, especially if somebody's just dipping their toes into that world. Or if you have an animal nut, I think if you have an animal nut, it's a great one. You know, my kids loved animals when they, my older one loved animals. He loved the wild crafts. He loved everything that had to do with animals. And I think he would have liked that because of this. So it was a good one. So this, we had, look at that. We had four winners this week. Yeah, we did. I'm such a huge fan of Mary Downing Hahn. So I highly recommend that for any kids who like spooky stories. And then the doll bones was great for, you know, kids who are a little less fearless. All right, you ready? Yeah, we're going to take a short break and come back with our little segment called Pick Six, in which we'll talk about our six favorite Halloween traditions. Okay, well, as I said before... I'm not a fan of Halloween. I also don't like being scared. But one of the big things about Halloween is that um, my youngest hates Halloween so much that we he will not go into any stores that might have Halloween guys for the entire duration. So thank you to the Marketing of America where now we bring him out somewhere in August and oh, we yeah. leave him up till the end. So my kid won't go in most stores until, you know, we're done. We're done until like after Halloween. He won't go in because they scare him. And it's so funny because every year he's like, I am seven now. I can handle it. And today we walked by when he's like, I cannot handle it, mom. That's okay, buddy. At least he knows himself. Right. He's like, I can do it. Nope, I can't. Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I know you love Halloween. You Halloween freak you. Um, I feel like uh, listeners, I should point out that every year she um, decorates her entire house like a giant jack-o'-lantern. She puts these big ass things in the window. Hey, that was one of my picks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you tell you what's your favorite Halloween traditions because <laughs> I just spilled the beans on her crazy. No, go on, please. Please explain to our listeners. <laughs> Why you decide to make your house into an epic jack-o'-lantern every year? Because that's who you are. Do you really want to know how it started? Yes. <laughs> I think I saw it in Martha Stewart. <laughs> nice. Martha, our Lord and Savior. 
Yeah. Goddess of all things domestic. I'm pretty sure that's where I first came across this idea. So I have a Cape Cod house. At each side, there are two large windows that are next to each other that make giant squares on each, you know, one on the left, one on the right of my front door. And I saw a picture one time where people turned windows like that into jack-o'-lanterns faces. So that's what I do. I get orange construction paper. And let me tell you what, she loses her crap if she can't find it, as was the case, I believe, in 2015. (laughs) Go on. I can't find any orange paper. What am I supposed to do? Come on. So now what I do is I save them because I used to make them fresh every year. And then, yes, one year I couldn't find orange construction paper. So now I take it down delicately and I fold them up and I put them away and I take them out every year. Very eco-friendly of you. Yes, that's probably better anyway. But I used to make a fresh jack-o'-lantern face every year, like something different. But So now, yeah, you so now I just have <laughs> the same ones. But so, yeah, I cut the faces out of the orange construction paper and then I tape yellow tissue paper to fill it in um, where the cutouts are so that when the light from inside shines through it, it glows yellow. So yes. And they're awesome. And I love them. And one year I saw a mom like taking a picture of her little one dressed up for Halloween in front of my window. And it made me so happy. Oh, you had your Insta moments. I did. I was like, oh, that's like such a sweet little tradition. They can take their pictures in front of my pumpkin window. So yeah, this year I was like, ooh, I wonder if this is going to be the year I don't do it because. Oh, no, you have to. 2020 people are depending on you. I know, right? They need a little bit of that, right? They need it. They need it. I'm totally going to do it. I might even do it like right at the beginning of October. Might as well. I mean, some people here are probably putting up Christmas lights already. Just rush this year to an end. I don't think anyone will stop you to rushing this year to an end. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I write for the hardware industry and in, when was it? It was like May or something. That was a huge trend. They were starting to sell Christmas lights because everybody wanted to put up decorations in their houses to make them feel better. And they were using like those white twinkle lights to do it. So yeah, I mean, may as well decorate early for everything. I am down with that, but I don't decorate for Halloween, except that's one of my traditions. So we have these, like, I I think it was when like, right after we moved to Indianapolis, because you know, we're transients, we've moved a lot. And that we found these like corny little, there was like a Frankenstein and a Dracula, but they were very cartoony and funny and sweet little stuffed things. And we ended up like accumulating like a dozen of them over the years. And they look kind of like windsocks, right? Oh, yeah. So I've always had to hang them up on the trees around our house. And that signifies Halloween. Well, then when we moved to this house, there's no like we're far back, you go down a long wooded lane before you get to our house. So it's not like like we have any reason to decorate. No one's going to see us. My kids lost their mind when I did not put them out. They were like, but we need the Halloween guys out. If you don't put the Halloween guys out, it's not Halloween. So I schlepped myself up the ladder and hang them in the trees when they were getting off the school bus or something to surprise Aww, them. Oh, so sweet. You're a good mom. I don't know what we're going to do this year with the fools, but we'll figure something out. Yeah. So we have to decorate with those. That's about it. That's like, that's our decorations as far as we go. And then we always have to make our pumpkins and we decide that we have to carve the Taj Mahal of pumpkins out of some, you know, like with a kitchen knife for God's sakes and things go wrong and there's always like anger and frustration and that's sort of how we roll on Halloween. And then we have to save the pumpkins and make them into like toasted pumpkin seeds and make a pie or whatever. That's it. I love that tradition of the toasted pumpkin seeds. That's a good one. What's your other tradition? What else you got? Well, you know, I have my little cute little Labradoodle. She has a taco costume that she wears every year. I was just going to say, please tell me she's going to be something fabulous like a taco. 
That's nice. It's the best costume like ever. A fried chicken taco. <laughs> My son was kind of young when we started doing that and he loved. So she would go around with the kids trick-or-treating. That was her favorite thing to do. <laughs> so this year she probably won't be able to do that, but um, but we'll probably still put the costume on her just for fun. Well, this is probably my my big one is probably his last year. I don't know. I don't know. The one thing that I really loved about here is that in Massachusetts, kids go they go hard and they go long. And there's yeah. like I remember like when we lived in Indiana, those kids were like, Oh, um, I'm in sixth grade, I'm too old to go. I'm in fifth grade, really? I'm too old to go. Yeah, they all stopped really early. Yeah, my my son would always say that, but then on the day, all of his buddies would decide to go. It's that in-between stage, right? Where they want to do it, but they don't want to do it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the in-between stage is killing us right now. My son is like <laughs> PS the other day. <laughs> Here we go, PS. The other day I like tripped over his friend's shoes were there and they're like a size 11 they're massive everybody's like hit their growth spurt my poor son hasn't even made it to men's shoes yet <laughs> he's like mom this is not fair and i know baby we had that here too yeah but hopefully he will be this will be his last year that he goes if he i mean i hope he goes more than this but um we'll have to make his costume because that's our jam we make our costumes okay so you are an amazing costume designer just tell the folks some of the costumes you've done for your kids they're the best well, I think it's hard because I'm a ringer and I have a master's degree and I went to, you know, I worked professionally as a costume designer. So it's not really fair, but my kids seem to think it's like DreamWorks up in here. I made my son a Hulk, the little one. He had like a Hulk and I made like a foam sculpted booby set for him and everything. So he looked like the real Hulk when he was about like five. And um, we had a massive Viking. I mean, a huge Viking for my older son. Um, we've had, oh my God, he's been Einstein. He's been, we've done a lot of some superheroes. We've done a lot. We've done a lot of crazy ones over the years. So, oh, we had Ghostbusters back in the day. We had an epic Ghostbusters. That was really fun. But of course, you know, the little one would never want to be what the big one is. So, so you can't pass them down. God, no. But he did sit there and do his math the other day, the little one sat there and did his math with the Einstein wig on and I thought I was going to lose my crown. I don't know if that was going to help or something because that would be something I would have done as a child. I would have been like, oh, this is that smart guy's wig. I'm totally wearing this while I do my math. <laughs> oh my God, I get the number line. Yay! Because <laughs> that's how I rolled. And there's moments where I see these things, my kids do the things like that and I'm like, oh, dang, I'm so sorry about genetics. <laughs> Every time my son's like, I am the shortest, chubbiest guy around. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> genetics is a bitch (laughs) oh it's fun I mean it'll be fun who knows what we're gonna have for Halloween this year but I'm sure people will make the best of it I'm sure they will they'll come up with creative things to do I'm definitely going to do those hands <laughs> I fill them with candy and then the kids can just grab a hand. Take a hand. Need a hand. Yeah. It's cute. But no one comes to our house because no one realizes we are a house and they're like, oh my God, I'm not going to that creepy lane. So I never have to buy candy. I think Halloween would be the best time to walk up your lane. Actually. It's so creepy. It is creepy. It is so creepy. And there was a snake there. Last year, my older son had a, he got a gorilla costume. That was the first time we had bought one for him and he, we had two. He made one and we bought one. But anyway, he decided that he would hide in the bushes so when the little one got off the bus he would just jump out in this gorilla costume and it was like one of the funny I wrote about it on my blog and I got like more hits than anything but it was one of the funniest things to ever see because my little nugget who was six years old at the time just turned six he gets off the bus this big hairy gorilla jumps out from behind the bushes and instead of like screaming running or anything he just punched him in the crotch he punched him in the crotch again and again and again until my older son was curled up in the fetal position on the driveway and the 
little one goes, well, that's what you get. <laughs> and walks off. And that's what I knew. He'd be able to handle himself just fine. <laughs> well, they talk about that at um, haunted houses and stuff. If you work for them, they say some people like run and some people have this reflex to punch you. Yeah, that's my little one. He <laughs> definitely has that. It's fight or flight. He's fight all the way. We could use a little more flight. <laughs> All right. Well, so give us one more. I guess my last favorite tradition is on Halloween, since we've had my son, my husband used to always take him around and he would take the dog. So I would be home alone and I would put on like a scary movie and I would pour myself a glass of wine and I would put on my witch's hat and I would hand out candy. And it was like my little solitude time. I would just sit and wait for the doorbell to ring. And it made me so happy. (laughs) I wonder if we could just get that to happen without Halloween. All the time. Yeah. I would like that. Just go for a walk for an hour. And I'm going to My husband will not take our children because he doesn't understand Halloween. He's been in this country for 20 freaking years, probably like give or take at this point. And he's still like, I do not like. What is this? Why I do this? Why I go get candy? I Why I not just go buy candy at the store? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But still, no, that's not how it rolls here. No. So he doesn't ever take them. He'll might like once in a while he'll drag along, but not a fan. That's what happens when you marry a man from a foreign country. They have their own good traditions, but I'm telling you what, you put baklava against Halloween, I don't know who wins. My niece does go to, they have like American, they literally call them American Halloween parties. <laughs> she does go to those and they dress up like Americans. I mean, like Americans dress up, not like, they're not like fat people with cameras on their necks and socks. <laughs> Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> they, they go to American style Halloween. But all right, so should we hang it up? Sure. Well, that does it for this episode. Just a reminder, you can find full transcripts of each podcast, as well as ideas for using books we've mentioned here and many others with your family on our website, twolitmamas.com. So what's up for our next episode, Margie? Okay, so I am a major science nerd and a massive botany freak, and I have been dying to read these two books. So we're going to read Bloom by Kenneth Opal and Forgotten City by Michael Ford, both of which freaky plant takeovers. Come on, you know, it's like a little bit of uh, Audrey, the singing Venus flytrap. It'll be awesome. They both look really good. And it's also a little bit of dystopian uh, fantasy on top of it. So I'm really psyched. I'm psyched to read these. They've been staring at me waiting to be read. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to Tulip Mamas. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at tulipmamas.com, T-W-O-L-I-T-M-A-M-A-S.com, where you can sign up to follow our blog. You can call me if you want Heather's address so you can go see your giant um, pumpkin house. That'll be fun. I'll I'll put it. We'll post a picture on Instagram. How's that? Okay, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, well, you can also find us on Facebook under Two Lit Mamas and on Instagram at TWO Lit Mamas Podcast. And that's actually where we'll update all the time. And if you want to join us twice a month for Kid Lit Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye.